good morning again. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Ryan Coggins. I'm one of the staff pastors here um, at Life Church. And there's a few times throughout the year that I get the distinct honor and, and the privilege of, of serving up the bread of life hot and fresh and, and, and preaching. And so this is one of those weekends, and so it is truly um, an honor to be with you today. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to get there in a few minutes, but that's kind of where we're going we're, we're to be um, today. I have two kids, and um, one thing I've noticed is that they're very, very different. They're in very different stages of life as well. I have a seven-month-old son named Ben, and uh, he's completely dependent upon me and Amanda for everything. Uh, he, he needs, you know, diaper changes, and he needs to be fed, and he needs to be put down for nap. Uh, he, he, needs, he needs us to do everything. It's almost like he's a baby or something. I don't, I don't understand. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he needs us to do everything for him. Um, my daughter May, she's two and a half years old, and she's like the exact opposite of that. Something happens between the ages of seven months and two and a half years where they decide they don't need parents. They, they don't need you to do anything. They don't, she, doesn't, she does not want help with a single thing. Um, she wants to do everything by herself. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of health to that, her development and all of that. It's, a lot of it's a good thing. Uh, but sometimes, man, it can just be downright frustrating as a parent because you're like, man, I can help you with this, but you don't want my help, okay? Um, here's some examples. She, she likes to dress herself lately. And um, so just recently, she's putting on her pajamas, does not want help. It takes four times longer than if I were to just do it. But I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let her figure this out, and this is a good thing. Um, but she gets to the point where she's trying to, she has one of those like full link onesie type footy pajama, I, you know, I don't know what they're called, but she uh, is trying to zip the whole thing up all the way down from the ankle, but she cannot get it started. And it's just, it's just like stuck or something. And she's trying, no daddy, I don't want your help. Okay, but she just keeps trying. And finally, I'm just like, May, please, can I just help you just a little bit? And she says, she looks at her zipper and then she looks up and she says, Okay, but just a little help. You know, she makes a clear distinction. Just, just, just a little help. And so I zip it up, and I get it all the way to the top, and she just begins screaming. And I'm thinking, did I, did I get you? You know, like, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened here. Are you in pain? What's going on? She's like, Daddy, I said just a little help. And I'm like, what? And, and then she proceeds to zip it halfway down and then back up as if to say, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, can, I can do this myself. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you are just like your mother. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. Um, I basically am looking in a mirror when I look at my daughter May because I am so much like that. It's not even funny. In fact, um, recently she also, her, you know, she wants to dress herself. And so Amanda and I will let her go in and figure out what she's going to wear for the day and come out. And Wednesday, she comes out, and this is what she's wearing. You can actually show you a picture of this. <laughs> you can't tell all the intricacies going on here, but nothing matches. She's got like six shirts on. You know, she's got half of her drawer is on her, and then she's got this little like Pocahontas headband thing going on. I don't know. Um, but she thinks she looks good, you know, she's like, this is, this is what I want to wear, and so we let her wear it until we have to go in public, and then we change it around a little bit, um, but she's extremely, extremely independent, 
And uh, I find myself very much the, the same exact way. I, 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 I started out very similar as a kid, and now today, it's something that I have to fight against a lot because I, I have this mentality that I can do things better than other people can, and so I'm just going to do it myself instead of, you know, have somebody else mess it up. I don't know if any, I know that sounds so arrogant, but that's the way I approach a lot of situations, and it's something that God has just smacked me time and time again over the head saying, Ryan, 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 you can't do everything better than everyone else. Just, and, and, and secondly, you're not doing things the way that I've called you to do. I've called you to build teams. I've called you to pour into other people. And it's something that, honestly, I have to constantly remind myself of. In fact, um, as a society, we've gotten very much um, that way. You know, we, 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 are, we pride ourselves in being independent people. In fact, uh, there's a lot of sociological studies that have been done on this trend of people leaning towards being independent. Um, In fact, uh, a few statistics just to throw out there. In the last 25 years, playing cards together, just a simple thing, playing cards together, is down 25%. A night with neighbors, just hanging out with your neighbors, is down 33% over the last 25 years. Many of you are like, I don't even know my neighbors' names, let alone hang out with them for an entire night. Having friends over is 45% uh, declined in the last 25 years. Just a readiness to make friends is down 33%. Uh, the average American 25 years ago used to have three close friends, and today they have two. That's what statistics tell us. Um, you also see, an, and this is very evident, you see an increase in individual sports. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but like things like running and golf, things that can be done by yourself, they don't require a team. Those are the sports that tend to be on the rise over the last several years. Yet in Scripture, you, <clears throat> you see a very different picture. All over, you, you look at almost any story. Uh, I love a lot of the stories in, in the Old Testament in particular, but uh, you look at almost any of those stories, and, and one of the primary you know, common denominator between them is that they're about team building. They're about building a team. They're about doing life together. They're about living the dream, not just by yourself. In fact, people in, in Scripture would look at that and be like, living the dream by yourself? What? That doesn't, that doesn't, that's an oxymoron. That doesn't even make any sense. It has to be done uh, together. Jesus, you know, the ultimate team builder, his, one of his primary purposes on earth was to pour into 12 men that we know as his disciples so that they could carry on the, his gospel from that point forward. And they did a pretty good job. I mean, there's over a billion people that call themselves Christ followers today. I know that that's, um, you know, 20% of the people in the world, so that's still just a small, a smaller percentage, but those 12 men multiplied into 12 billion, and it all started with Jesus knowing that he had to build a team when he was on earth, that that was a big, important part of his ministry, and, and so he put an emphasis in that. Today, we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament in Nehemiah um, chapter 1. We're going to look through basically the first three chapters. I'm not going to read it all the way through, but that, that's kind of the context that we're going to be looking at. But just to set it up a little bit um, so you know a little bit about who Nehemiah is. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia, and he lived in the, in the palace in the capital city of Susa. You find that all out in, in, in chapter 1. And basically what a cupbearer is, there's been a lot of different spins on, on, on this, but essentially what a cupbearer is, is they're a servant of the king. 
they're kind of a, a well-treated servant, but a servant nonetheless. And, and part of their job, or well, their primary purpose is to test wine before the king would drink it because if a lot of people would try to poison the king and so they would do that through poisoning what he was about to drink and the, the cupbearer had the distinct privilege of testing that out before uh, the king would to see if it was poison. Not necessarily what I would look at as a, a glamorous job. Yeah, there's some perks to it. He gets to live in the palace, but to me, I kind of equate it to like a janitor in the White House. You know, it, it, you're, a, you're, you're in the White House, so that's kind of cool, but you're a janitor. You know, it, it's not necessarily this job that everyone's lining up to do. That's kind of the job that Nehemiah had. Uh, Nehemiah, it tells us in chapter 1 that, that basically he had, he had a dream. He had something that God had laid on his heart to do. What had happened was that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, completely destroyed, and Jerusalem was God's city, and and God's reputation was hand-in-hand with the city of Jerusalem. And so when the city was destroyed, other people would look at that, other countries, other religions would look at that and say, man, your God is destroyed, because the city is destroyed. It was a big deal that the city had been destroyed. Nehemiah is told about this destruction by his brother, and he is overwhelmed with sadness. The Bible says that he weeps, he mourns, and he fasts for a period of time that uh, we think is three to four months is how long Nehemiah was just an absolute basket case because Jerusalem was where his ancestors were from. He was a Jewish man. That's where he was from, and it had been absolutely destroyed. He was very, very sad. God gives him a vision to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. That's not just a small... I know sometimes in, when you read a Bible story, you just think, yeah, that, you don't think a whole lot about what would actually go into rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. But basically, the, the walls were 15 to 20 feet high, three to four feet wide, and two and a half miles in circumference. That's what he had to do first, was rebuild those walls. That... Um, even in today with our technology, would take a long time. Um, in those days, it would just be absolutely just nearly impossible to do. Certainly couldn't be done alone. Then he had to reestablish the government there, uh, reestablish the church there. He had to just kind of get rally the troops, all while being attacked by other foreign nations because nobody wanted, none of these foreign nations wanted Jerusalem to be rebuilt because it was a threat to their kingdom, and they, they didn't want that. So they were attacking, criticizing, doing whatever they could to stop the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is going to tackle this project. He's a cupbearer in the palace for the king, and he's the one that's going to, that God has given this vision to rebuild the city. It's a pretty incredible story. There's a ton of different lessons that could be learned from the story of Nehemiah. He's one of the greatest leaders that you'll read about in the entire Bible. Um, just, just, just some phenomenal things in the book of Nehemiah. I'd encourage you to read through the book of Nehemiah throughout the course of the week. It's, I think it's a, is it 11 chapters long, but there's a lot of awesome things in the book of Nehemiah. But I want to focus in on those first three chapters because Nehemiah understood something that everyone in this room needs to understand. As we wrap up this series, Living the Dream, um, you can say that you want to live a dream. You can even have plans that you want to live a dream. But if you miss this point, it will not work. Nehemiah understood that in order to live the dream, he could not do it alone. Nehemiah understood that he could not live the dream 
alone. This is the only thing I'm going to talk about today. This one point. I'm a pretty simple guy. This is what it is all about uh, today. If your dream can be done alone, first of all, it's way too small of a dream. That, that's something you could put on your to-do list. If it's something, you know, your weekly to-do list that, that you could get, do, if it's something that you could do all by yourself. Every God-given dream requires help. You can't do it alone. Nehemiah understood he could not. There's no way. First of all, he doesn't even have any expertise in rebuilding a city. Zero. He has zero, I mean, no construction background. It's not like he, you know, he's like, could engineer this project and do it himself. He could not do it by himself. And we're going to find out about some of the places that Nehemiah turned to for help. The first place that Nehemiah turned to help, this sounds like an obvious one, but I want to spend some time on it. Nehemiah turned to God for help. Now you might be saying, well, yeah, that's probably a pretty good place to start. But I'm amazed at how many times people miss this step. They, they develop their plan. Maybe it's they want to start a business. So they develop this, this business model. They kind of have this product that they want to sell. They have all, everything lined up. And then they give it to God and say, God, can you bless this? And God's saying, no, no, no. Let me be a part of the day one process of that dream. I, I want to be a part of that dream because you can't do it by yourself. If you can do it by yourself, great, go try it. But it's not a God-sized dream. It's, it, it just isn't. Nehemiah turned to God for help. We read in Nehemiah chapter 1, in verse 11, this is after he's been weeping and fasting and mourning uh, for four months. He finally comes to this point. And he says, O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success now as I go to ask the king for a great favor. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. He's basically saying, okay, God, you've laid this on my heart. I've absolutely been devastated, and now I'm to the point where I'm ready to do something about it. You've put this in my heart to do. I can't do it by myself. I need the the favor and the provision of the Almighty God in order for this to be a success. It can't happen without you. If If your dream can be done without God, it's way too small, first of all. And secondly, a good litmus test to know if your dream is really of God or not is take God out of the equation. Say, okay, if I didn't consult God at all about this dream, would my dream be successful or would it fail? If it, if it would fail without God, you're in a very, very good position because that's the kind of dream that God wants us to dream today. Nehemiah turned to God for help. And I know it sounds so obvious. We've been talking about this for, for three weeks now. This is the fourth week of the series, and that's been the, the main thing all the way through is that God has to be a part of your dream. But I do want to mention one thing on this before we move on. Um, it's, it's kind of a historical piece that, that makes this story make a whole lot more sense to me. It was kind of a cool thing to, to see. that From the time that Jerusalem was destroyed to when Nehemiah actually acted on this dream, there was 141 years that had passed. So 141 years ago, the city was destroyed. Nehemiah finds out about it, apparently, even though theologians would tell us that he's probably known about it his entire life. This isn't new information to him. And he reacts to this news that happened long before he was even born by weeping and mourning and crying and fasting and praying for four months. Now, just to give you a little context, what that would be like, that'd be like one of you going home, open up a sixth grade textbook, reading about the Civil War, and weeping for four months because of it. 
Now, I'm not here to, to put any light at, at the Civil War or anything like that, but it's something that happened a long time ago. And for you to be heartbroken by it and to actually cry for four months and to just be devastated about it would be a, a little extreme. You might need to be medicated. I mean, it'd be just a little, a little bit like it's a little late and it's a little extreme. That's the scenario that we see with Nehemiah is he's just, it's, it's like, it seems like it's a little late and a little extreme that he's so devastated by this event. And what I believe and what, what a lot of theologians would say is that this wasn't new information to Nehemiah. He's known about this his entire life, that Jerusalem had been destroyed a long time ago, but it's hitting him in a brand new way. And what I believe happened is that Nehemiah got the heart of God in this moment, that God revealed something to him and said, this is not right. It's not okay that people are mocking the Almighty God because the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. It's not okay with me that people are living in sin. To me, it sounds a lot like where we find America today. It's not okay with God that there are things that are not right in our world. It's not okay with God that in Milwaukee, there are people that will go to sleep tonight without a front door on their house. That's not okay with God. And I could go on and on and on about things that are not okay with God. But God finally, he breaks Nehemiah's heart. Finally, there's somebody that is completely palms up to God saying, I'll do whatever. And God breaks his heart. Today, throughout, maybe throughout this series, you've been trying to figure out how this applies to you. This series, you've been like, man, I just don't have a God-given dream. I, I have good things that I want to do, but I don't have like this overwhelming thing on my heart that I, that I need to accomplish. Can I just tell you, maybe the best thing that you can do today is get on your hands and knees before God and just ask God to break your heart for the things that break his. And he'll do that. You know, when God breaks your heart, you look at situations like what's happened in Haiti. That the, the fact that they still don't have running water in the city, it's in complete shambles, not too much different than what, where Jerusalem um, was at. When you hear about that, that should break your heart. I'm not saying you need to go get on an airplane and go down there today. I'm saying that that's just an example. That's an example of how God can break your heart and, and have a God-sized dream. I believe until God will break your heart and you will really have the heart of Jesus Christ, that, that you won't have a God-sized dream. Anyway, we're, we're going to move on, but that's just kind of a parenthetical thought. But Nehemiah turned to God for help. And after he turns to God for help, he gets God's blessing. He knows that this is a God-sized dream. He knows that God has planted this in his heart beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he moves on and he, he, he consults two groups of people to get on, on the same page as him and, and, and to help him in this dream. The first group of people is this. Nehemiah turned to influencers for help. Nehemiah turned to influencers for help. Uh, we read in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, um, starting in verse 4. Read in verse 4 and 5, it says this, The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, he, I replied again, he's consulting God, asking for God's help. He says, if it please your majesty and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? He's saying, how much time off are you going to need? You know, you're, you're an employee of mine. How, how, when will you return? So the king agreed and, and I set a date for my departure. Nehemiah was a smart man. He, he understood, first of all, he needed this to be 
a God dream, not just a good dream. There's a lot of good thing, a lot of good dreams that you can have, but the distinguishing factor between a good dream and a God dream is your willingness to act. And so he's finally like, I'm going to act upon um, this dream. And then he goes to influencers. That's kind of the next step. And this model that we see Nehemiah going through, man, it is a great model for anyone who wants to live the dream and do something God called them to do. Nehemiah goes to the king for influence. And then the the king says, yeah, I'll help you. And, And we read that Nehemiah continues. He doesn't just stop with, this is what God's put on my heart to do. He says, I need your help to make this happen. Now, Nehemiah understood that the king did not want the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. In fact, if you turn back just a little bit to Ezra chapter 4, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, I'm not going to read there today, but Ezra and Nehemiah started out as one book, and we've separated them into Ezra and Nehemiah, but Ezra chapter 4 talks about how the king Artaxerxes, the same guy here, was completely opposed to the rebuilding of the city and actually stopped the city from being rebuilt at one point because it was a threat to the kingdom of Persia. He did not want this to happen at all. And Nehemiah is going to him as a servant in, in, in the palace saying, this is what God's put on my heart to do. I know you might not be cool with that, but this is what I want to do, and I need your help to do it. Kind of gutsy. Uh, there's a fine line between gutsy and stupid, and he's really right on that line. Um, but he's like, I need your help. And he goes on to ask him, first of all, for protection while traveling. He said, write letters to the people that I'm going to be traveling through so that, because it's 900 miles away from, from Susa to Jerusalem. That's a four-month journey that he has to go on just to get to Jerusalem. And he asked him for protection all the way there. Um, you know, send an army, write letters so I can get through freely. Um, he asked for, he's like, I also know you have a big forest and all of that timber would really help me in the rebuilding of the city. Could you just give me all the timber necessary to rebuild the city? And then I want to build a house for myself, so I'm also going to need a little wood to make that happen. Is that okay with you? You can imagine, Nehemiah, man, that, that's a pretty big ask. That's, that, that's a lot to ask for of the king. Um, kind of not maybe the smartest thing to do, but he knows that God has called him to do this, and if it's going to be successful, he absolutely needs to have the king on board with him. Otherwise, it's not going to work. It's not going to work the way he wants it to. Are you willing to be humiliated, possibly, because of what God's put in your heart? Nehemiah knew, first of all, he knew that he could be straight up killed for asking the king this uh, very easily. Now, that was probably a likely scenario, um, at worst case, he, he would, at best case, he would at least be humiliated by the king and probably lose his job at, at, at the palace there. But he goes for it. Some of you today, I want to talk to you for just a minute because you are an influencer. You are somebody with a lot of influence. And at Life Church, I can just tell you, God's put a dream and a vision in the heart of Pastor Aaron and the leadership of this church to do great things in the Milwaukee area. But we can't do it, first of all, without God's provision. That's, that's the number one place that we go to for everything. But we also know, just as following this, this model with Nehemiah, we need influencers. We need mature Christ followers who have been, um, been, been a Christ follower for a long time to come in. And, and we have several of you sitting in, in, in the chairs today. 
that are willing to just say, I'll do whatever. I'll link arms with you. I'll align myself with the dream and vision of Life Church, with the mission and the purpose to say, I want to see this community and this city reach for Jesus Christ. We need people who will lead life groups to pour in what they have learned, what they have been given by God, what they have learned over the years, to pour in to other people, to new Christ followers, and say, this, let me help you along the journey a little bit. We need, fi- we need people that have the finances to, to come alongside a dream and a vision of this West Campus, of, of, of building this building, of things that we know that, that God is calling us to do in order to reach this city. We need people to, that are influencers to make it happen. Every dream worth dreaming needs influencers. You know, if you are attempting to live the dream, maybe God's put something in your heart, who are your influencers? Um, I can tell you from a personal standpoint, um, on August 5th in the year 2000, I was 16 years old. I was sitting in Kansas City, Missouri, and God called me to, into full-time vocational ministry. There's been only a few times in my life that, that, that God has really, man, that I know that God has spoken to me, and that was probably the most distinct God has ever spoken to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but it might as well have been. Man, it totally changed the course of my life. I had no desire to be, to be in full-time ministry. In fact, I very much did not want to do that. And God just rocked me in that moment. We weren't, it wasn't even, there wasn't anyone speaking. It was actually during a time of worship. There was nothing pertinent going on in the, in the room um, to my calling in ministry, but man, it, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's what I was supposed to do. And then since then, over the last several years, my goal has been to do whatever it takes to live that out. And there's been a few key influencers along the way. Um, the first one was my parents. Um, they, you know, the most influential people in my life at the time, and they were people that I told about, this is what God has called me to do. Um, this is the scenario. This is exactly what happened. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I need your help. I need you to pray for me. I need, I need your support. You know, I, I need your financial support to help me, man, because I know this is going to be a lot more expensive than just going to, you know, if, if I go to a private school and all that to, to get my degree. I, I need your help in this. And my parents were there to help me, and they still are to this day. And I'm so glad that they're on the same page with me on this thing. Now, 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 keep in mind, you will have influencers that will tell you no, that will laugh at you, that will say, no, 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 I, that's not, and, and that's okay. That's, that's totally okay, but you need to have somebody. Go find somebody who's an influencer. Another influencer in my life was um, Pastor Mike Bechtold. He was a, a man that, when I was in college, I approached, um, I was 19 years old, and, and myself and my brother-in-law, we were both studying youth ministry, and we were going to church at his church, and said, what can we do um, to help? What can we do? I, I, I don't know if there's a youth ministry or things that we can help with. I'm willing to do whatever. Well, that turned into a volunteer position that turned into a part-time job that turned into a full-time job. And I thank God uh, that Pastor Mike took a chance uh, on a kid, a punk kid, that there were kids in the youth group that were only like four months younger than me, you know, and I'm, I'm preaching to them on Wednesday nights. And to be able to, do, to build that and develop that, um, I, I thank God that I had an influencer like Pastor Mike to let me do that, to let me experiment, let me fall down. He said, as long as it's not immoral, illegal, or sinful, and you don't lose any kids, just let me know what's going on, but I'm going to let you kind of run with things. Who are your influencers? Who are the people giving you the green light? Um, you need those people in your life. Every dream worth dreaming requires influencers. And the last group of people that Nehemiah turns to um, 
and a lot of people tend to start with this group, and, and you should, and it's, it's probably the last group that you should consult. Nehemiah turned to volunteers for help. Nehemiah turned to volunteers for help. If you read the book, uh, or excuse me, the chapter three of Nehemiah, it's one of those chapters, occasionally in the Old Testament specifically, you'll read a chapter where it's like, there's a lot of names that I can't pronounce, and uh, you know, like you, it's tend to be one that you skip. I don't, I don't know if anyone wants to raise their hand and tell me that they've skipped a chapter like that before, but this is one of those chapters. But it's extremely significant that Nehemiah, and I'm not going to read through it today, but Nehemiah lists everyone that helps rebuild the walls. There's 38 different people or groups of people that help with the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he needed people to do the work. Uh, he knew that he couldn't do it alone. Um, he needs influencers. He needs God. But man, he needs people that roll up their sleeves, get dirty, and make it happen, and just do some grunt, blood, sweat, and tears type work and make it happen uh, for him. You know, there, there's a, a kind of a phenomenon going around lately where a lot of businesses are catching on to this model of using volunteer work. You think about something like Wikipedia. Man, they're totally dependent upon people submitting um, information to that website to make it happen. You know, you look at things like eBay. They're utilizing um, people's basements as their warehouses, you know, storage units as their warehouses. That's kind of, it's a smart thing that they're doing, but they're utilizing people um, for free, essentially. Uh, You know, you look at uh, your smartphone, look through all the different apps that are available. A lot of times it's some kid in his basement developing something and then he makes it available to a bunch of people. The reason why, you know, a lot of smartphones are successful is because of that. Some people refer to it as the contribution revolution. I've heard it referred to that several times um, in, in articles and things like that. But Nehemiah knew that he had to have workers uh, to make it happen. Um, the question I ask you is, is your dream so inspiring that you can get people to work for you for free? <laughs> uh, that you can have people that will, are willing to lay down their life and join arms with you and say, yes, I believe in what God has called you to do, and I want to help you with that project. That's the kind of dream that God wants us to dream. He doesn't want us to do it alone. He wants us to have help. But it has to be an inspiring thing. Can I tell you, at Life Church, that... Um, this model works really, really well to what we do at Life Church because, man, we need volunteers. We need people that will help make it happen. And in fact, we have close to 300 volunteers here at Life Church. Just, just a few years ago, five years ago, there weren't even 300 people, uh, let alone volunteers at Life Church. And um, we have people doing every sort of job imaginable, and most of them are behind the scenes. In fact, most of the um, you, you see a few of the volunteer positions, um, maybe here on a weekend service, but there are a ton of behind-the-scenes jobs. In fact, could I have everyone who is a volunteer at Life Church? And don't be modest. If you volunteer in some capacity, would you stand to your feet right now? If you volunteer at Life Church, I'm going to call you out if I see you sitting and you're a volunteer. Stand up. Stand up. Don't, don't lie, don't be, don't be afraid. Can we just give these people just a big round of applause? You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Um, man, we can't do what we do without people like that. 
And I, I look around at some of the people standing, people that count money on the weekends because they have the, the gift of accounting. People that, you know, run the soundboard. Man, you look at that thing, that thing looks like NASA space control. I would, man, it's overwhelming. But they have the, the, the skills to be able to do that. Uh, we have cameramen that put up with people moving around stage really quick. And they're, uh, oh, gotcha. Threw you for a loop on that one. Um, we have people in the back that run the video equipment that do a phenomenal job. We have people that have the gift of, of music. We have people that just change diapers in, in the kids' area. We have people that come in throughout the week and just help with administration, data entry. Um, we have people that answer the phones throughout the week. We have people that do all sorts of different jobs here at Life Church, And it's all because we have a dream and a vision to reach this city for Jesus Christ, and we can't do it by ourselves. In fact... Uh, the staff, which is 13, 14 people, man, we cannot <laughs> minister. To, last weekend, we had 936 people. We can't do that by ourselves. We absolutely cannot. Pastor Aaron talks to us all the time as a staff and says, are you a golden egg or a golden goose? If you're a golden egg, I can replace you easily. If you're a golden goose, those are the people I need. I need you to reinvent yourself. I need you to, um, excuse me, reproduce yourself uh, with other people. I need you to develop other people, and that's what we're in the business of doing. That's what Nehemiah did extremely well. He had people that just coming out of everywhere saying, yeah, I'll, that sounds like an awesome dream. I will get on board with that and make that happen. Every dream worth dreaming um, has to have volunteers. It has to have workers. It has to have people that are willing to just help and, and make it happen. You know, it's funny because... Um, um, Oftentimes, we, uh, we think that, that uh, God needs us to make his dream happen. And, and, and God could snap his fingers and have the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. I mean, he, he can do whatever he wants. And sometimes we, we get arrogant thinking that he needs us. Sometimes I think God is, 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 is like a, a parent with their two-and-a-half-year-old daughter like I have and saying, can you help clean up lunch? Well, I could do it a lot better myself. In fact, I could probably do it in less time by myself. But I bring her in because I want to teach her a few things along the way. Man, that's how I view God. That's how I think God is looking at us saying, I could do this myself. I really, really don't need you to do this. But man, I have chosen to work through people. I want to teach you some things along the way. I don't want to just snap my fingers and make it happen. I want to place a dream and a vision in your heart and see that birth, and see that, that grow, and see that happen. As we um, conclude this series today, I, I want you to be encouraged. Um, you know, I, I think what's easy to do in a series like this is to beat yourself up a little bit, and to say, yeah, man, I, I know that that's something I really should do, and God's been speaking to that to me for a long time now, or man, I, I just know there's, there's more that I could be doing. Um, I just want to encourage you and say, forget all of that and just say today that I'm going to start a journey and I am going to live the dream. I'm reminded of a verse of scripture that I absolutely love. It's in the book of Philippians chapter 12. It says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past 
and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling. In 2011, can we forget the past, just as Paul writes here? Forget what's happened in the the past and press on towards, towards what is in front of us in 2011. We're believing in great things from the people of Life Church. In fact, we've heard throughout the course of this series, several people have emailed or called or we've sat down with and talked to that God is, man, is doing some pretty incredible things. And my prayer is that it would not get bogged down by, you know, man, I got so many responsibilities. And, and, and just that dream and vision, it's, I'll get to it someday, but it, that could really complicate my life a little bit. Can I tell you that every dream is going to complicate your life if it's worth dreaming? Um, you know, you think about kids. <laughs> kids are an awesome thing, but they complicate your life. Uh, you, you look at what we're doing with the West Campus here at Life Church. I can tell you probably more than anyone who would ever understand that having a West Campus, having two locations is going to complicate things dramatically. Uh, we're already working through a lot of the, thinking through the processes and, and how that's all going to flesh out, how that's going to work. It's going to complicate things. But man, the fact that we have um, a, a city to reach, it, it makes it all worthwhile. Did you know that in where, where we're going to be meeting at the Majestic Theater, um, in, in the Waukesha, Brookfield, Pewaukee, right there in that uh, 94 corridor, it has five times the population density that, that Germantown does. Um, that's pretty cool to me because I think there's a lot of people that need to know about Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people that need to hear just, just, just the good news. And so that's what we're doing. It complicates things. Man, it makes things a little scary, a little risky at times. But that's because it's a God-sized dream. And we know that we can't do it without God's provision and God's help. We can't do it without influencers who are willing to say, I'll do whatever to to align myself with that dream. And we can't do it without volunteers who are simply willing to just get dirty and make it happen. Do you have a dream like that? Do you have a God-sized dream? Let's pray.